than reach, and we would love for you to follow along here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This will be our final week on, the, on discussing spiritual gifts. Uh, we've, we've said a number of things. I appreciate Pastor Steve sharing last week just really about some specifics and in, in, in what some of those gifts look like and how we discern some of those gifts. And I hope that you've had a chance to, uh, if you haven't done so already, uh, first of all, to uh, take that spiritual gifts inventory that you can find the link on our website. Make sure you check out the kiosk out there in the foyer, the new kiosk with the iPads, to know how you could get connected even more so. Uh, two weeks ago, we touched on one of the gifts that is um, mentioned here in chapter 14, the gift of prophecy, and I promised that we would come back and touch on the other one, and that is the gifts of gift of tongues. And so we're going to do so briefly this morning. Uh, as I said two weeks ago, I realized that these topics of prophecy and tongues are of extreme interest to some, and uh, there's others who kind of shrug their shoulders and say, I don't get what the big deal is. And so we're going to try to try to uh, be able to speak to both of you this morning. I don't want. I mean, there are some of you who would who would probably want like a six week series or a, you know a huge study at, at, on this and on this. And th there are some very good studies out there that you can uh, delve much deeper than what we're going to go into uh, this morning. Won't answer all of your questions. Won't be able to touch on all the all the issues that are raised with this um, sometimes controversial. Uh, a spiritual gift, but I want us to just begin this morning by reading uh, the first part of First uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen. I, actually, I think we're going to read through verse twenty-five. So, if you want to follow along as we read First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verses one through twenty-five, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies, prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge of prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone understand what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? 
and you may be give, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for believers, but for, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Um, once again, we have to say, as we've been saying all along, that the Apostle Paul is addressing a specific situation here in Corinth. He is tackling something that is going on. And as you might guess, it is division once again. There, 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 there's problems. There's conflict here among the Corinthians. And there are those who elevated the gift of tongues to a high degree in the worship service. And the problem was that nobody was in, interpreting those tongues for the assembly. And so... Uh, he is uh, furthermore dealing with people that, that were speaking in tongues who felt that it was a superior gift and they were elevating it to the point uh, out, of, out of pride uh, that they were causing confusion and no one uh, was interpreting and there was general uh, mayhem at the end of the, the, the um, chapter which we didn't go all the way through but verse 40 says all things should be done decently in order. There was, there was a concern that there had, had just become chaos. Their gatherings had descended into chaos. Paul is addressing a specific situation. It's important to remember, he's not telling us everything we need to know about tongues. As we said, I think this whole, this whole section, chapters 11 through 14, is difficult. There are a lot of unspoken assumptions in definitions of terms that he doesn't seek to clarify for us. And so uh, it, it makes these, these passages a little bit challenging. One writer says that as we read this passage, we need to remember that Paul's emphasis and concern is unmistakable. The edification, that is the strengthening and building up of God's people. The one activity, speaking in tongues, edifies only the speaker and not the church because it's addressed directly to God and no one's understanding what's said. This other activity, which we looked at two weeks ago, prophecy, edifies the community of faith because it's addressed to the people, and speaks edification and encouragement and comfort to them. But even here, thus far, we're assuming uh, a definition. We're assuming that you know what I mean as we're talking about tongues. And so I don't want to go any further before we try to define it. Um, and again, in just about every one of these points here, uh, there are counter-arguments, and there are those who I greatly respect who would disagree with me, even uh, just as recently as uh, probably a few months and definitely a few years ago, I would disagree with me on these things. And so uh, as of, like I said, two weeks ago, this is where I stand as of 9.02 a.m., May 2nd, uh, 2021, uh, on these matters. I've, I've, 
I've changed my position on some of this. I, I grew up in a church that, that said we just, we just kind of skipped over uh, chapter 14 in the book of 1 Corinthians. We, kinda, we didn't actually cross it out or rip it out like Thomas Jefferson did with his Bible. You probably heard that story. But we, uh, we certainly didn't spend much time. We just kind of glossed over it. Like tongues, prophecy, that all just sounds kind of sketchy. So let's just move on. Um, but I think that there are some things here for us that we would do well to, to listen to what God's word has to say. The gift of tongues is simply the supernatural ability to speak in a previously unknown language. We first encounter it um, in Acts chapter 2, and, and many of you are familiar with this. You, you can turn there if you want, but uh, this is the story of the day of Pentecost. Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon his disciples, and this is the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus made in uh, the night before he went to the cross. You can read about that in John 14 through 16. And uh, it says that uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout Jews, or men, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And so you can go on and read more of the account there, but there, there was, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, as a, an accompaniment of this sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit, there were those who were speaking in languages that they had never learned. And there were others who had, who had traveled to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, and they were hearing some of their own languages. So as we think about defining speaking in tongues, uh, it, it's clear from Acts chapter 2 that there were, at least in some of the cases, they were known languages. They were actual languages that are spoken around the world, and this person that was speaking them had never learned them before. And God miraculously gave them the ability to proclaim in those other languages. It seemed like there in Acts 2, there were two purposes. One is a miraculous sign for God to demonstrate, yes, that the Holy Spirit was indeed coming upon his people. And it was being accompanied by miraculous signs and wonders. But the other reason was so that these foreigners could hear the gospel message in their own language when there was no one there who knew the gospel and could speak their language. And I, I've, I've heard so many accounts of that happening around the world today uh, and, and throughout the years where there's those who wanted to be able to share the gospel and God gave them a miraculous ability to speak in a, in a foreign language and be able to communicate that uh, in a mighty way. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and again, there are those who would, who would disagree with me on this, and that's fine. It seems like there there was something else going on with regards to the languages or the tongues that they were speaking. It seems like they were speaking in languages that were not known to the world. Some call them ecstatic utterances, uh, some heavenly languages. And here's, here's where I get, and there's not, a, there's not a lot to go on, but here's where I get this. If you look back at chapter 13, verse 1, he says, and again, remember, 13 is the love chapter, and we talked about that. But he mentions, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
And he goes on to describe the necessity of love. He mentions there the tongues of angels. He does nothing else to explain it. He doesn't uh, further exposit that. He just moves right on from that and infuriatingly uh, leaves us hanging. The other, the other reason that makes me think that there was something else going on other than known languages here was if you look at uh, chapter 12, verse 10, and, and this is, uh, Steve was touching on these lists of spiritual gifts last week, and he's talking about the spiritual gifts here, and he's talking about um, some have been given the ability to work miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues. And I had never seen that before uh, a couple of months ago, that uh, that's in the plural. A lot of these gifts that have been listed are in, in, the, in the singular. But here he says various gifts, like a, there's a variety of gifts of tongues. There's not just a standard issue, uh, this is what they all look like, gift of the ability to speak in tongues. But Paul makes, makes it in the plural, and then he adds to that the word various, which means sort of a, just a, a, a multiplicity. They, they look different. And so what I wonder here is if Paul is not saying, like, listen, this could manifest itself in different ways, uh, whether it's a, a known language, someone who is uh, walking the streets, maybe on a business trip in a foreign country, and uh, they don't speak that language, and they just get a chance to meet somebody in a restaurant or have in the street, and they just can't communicate with them. There are, I believe, times when God supernaturally gives the ability to speak that actual language. But then it also seems like here in Corinth, what was going on was uh, languages that were not known to um, to anyone here on this earth. They're, they're not earthly languages. It doesn't mean that they're gibberish. It doesn't mean that it's just simply nonsense. It just means it's, it's not a language that is understood uh, here on this earth. We don't, we don't know what the languages of heaven are like. It's a, something interesting to think about, that there, there may be a whole variety of heavenly languages spoken that have nothing to do with the languages we speak here on earth. We we, uh, we'll stop there, just, it's just only speculation at that point. But uh, one writer says, Paul understands tongues to be a language inspired by the Spirit and not a non-cognitive, non-language utterance. It, it's not simply incoherent babbling in the Spirit. Tongues consist of words which, though indecipherable, are not meaningless syllables strung together. Um, so as we think about the gift of speaking in tongues, that's one way to define it and one way to sketch it out. Uh, the second question I want to answer briefly this morning is, what is the purpose of this gift? What, why did God give the people in Corinth and, and to his church this gift? What, what is his goal behind it? Well, I think we can glean a couple of things from the first couple of uh, verses of chapter 14. Look back to 1 Corinthians 14 and beginning in verse 2. The first idea that we get is uh, the one who, he says, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So the person with this gift to be able to speak in a language that they don't know is to speak to God first and foremost. It's not for other people. It, it's a conversation or it's a, it, it, as some people will put it today, it's a prayer language. It's the ability to communicate to God in these unknown languages. 
It's communing with God in a deep and a unique way that bypasses the understanding of the mind. He uh, furthermore explains in verses 13 and 14 that 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 communion with God is an act of worship. Uh, Verse 13 says, Therefore the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So again, if it's being done in the context of the church, and we're going to come back to this, that there needs to be an interpreter. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. There is a, some sort of a worshipful connection with God that takes place as this gift is practiced that is unique. That's, that's my best word I can use to describe it. It's, it's unique. It's special. It's the ability to commune with God in a unique way. Uh, the second thing I want to say is that it, uh, it's the ability to utter mysteries in the Spirit. Verse 2 says, The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, again, he doesn't really explain to us what that phrase is, but if we're thinking about it in terms of his communicating with God, he's probably just saying that this, this speaker of tongues um, is saying things that he doesn't fully understand. There are mysteries. He doesn't, he doesn't really grasp what he's communicating with God. He just understands that there's a, a fellowship there. And then the third, the third area, uh, third reason or purpose of the gift of tongues that Paul uh, tells us here comes in verse 4. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. And so the gift of speaking in tongues, and this is, this is something that, that I've, again, come to change my mind on uh, with regards here. I, I think that this gift is first and foremost as, uh, given in relationship, in that person's relationship with God to strengthen their spirit. They're being built up as they have this gift. What Paul is going to argue throughout this chapter then is the only way that this gift should be anywhere other than between you and God. The only way that this gift should find itself into the body of Christ is if it can somehow build others up as well. Paul says if you have this gift and you're talking to God in this way, you're being built up. But if if it's to benefit or bless the body, then there must be an interpreter. Um, the third question that I want to answer is uh, our tongues for today. Is this gift something that we should practice, that God's people should practice uh, for today? Uh, for many, many years, my answer has been a resounding no. I felt, I, I, had, I had the perspective of a... Um, of a view that's in a theological view that's called cessationism, that these miraculous gifts uh, ceased as the New Testament um, was uh, put together and as we began to have the completed word of God in the uh, early, uh, early part of the church, that we no longer needed these sign gifts or these miraculous gifts to verify the work of God. And I based my view, and I'm only just going to touch on this. There's so mu- you can read so much about this interpretation. But I based my view on the end of chapter 13. And there are some theologians that hold this view. Again, uh, uh, godly men and women that I respect. But uh, they, they would look at 13, chapter 13, verse 8. And it says, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. And tongues, they will cease 
as for knowledge, it will pass away. So Paul mentions three gifts in verse 8 that he says they're going to fade off the scene. Prophecy, tongues, and the gift of knowledge. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And the, the idea behind this view of cessationism is that if we define what the perfect is in verse 10, then we can determine when these gifts are going to pass away. Does that make sense? And so my, my position, um, and, and there are some others who, from whom I got this, uh, some of my teachers uh, uh, growing up, that um, the perfect was defined as the, the close of the New Testament canon. When the last book was written and we had the, the word of God, that we had, we had the perfect revelation, we didn't need these gifts anymore. I, I've since come to see that like, there's just, that's, that's reading into the text like, that's imposing an idea upon the text. The Bible doesn't say that here in this passage. It's called eisegesis. We want to do exegesis, like draw from the text and see what the text is, has to say. Most scholars believe that the perfect refers to the second coming of Christ. When we are perfectly, uh, have our, our, we have our new bodies, when we're united with him, we don't need these gifts. Because Paul's whole point then is, like, we don't need these spiritual gifts. We're going to be redeemed. He said love is going to last these gifts will pass away, but love will still remain. We're still going to have love in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, he says faith, hope, and love, all those things. We're going to have all those things, but the need for these spiritual gifts will be no more. I think it's very difficult to make an argument um, for, for the position of, um, of saying with certainty that these gifts are no longer for the church. In fact, I was talking to an old uh, a former teacher, um, just a few weeks ago, and uh, since I had last seen him, he had went on and got his PhD in biblical studies, had gotten much more grounded in Hebrew and Greek, and uh, this, this idea, this topic came up, and I said, where do you stand on this? You know, we, when we were at Bible college, you know, we realized that this was like the view of the school, that all these things had ceased. Where do you stand on this? And he said, honestly, I don't think you can make any case from the New Testament from diving into the text that these things have ceased in his position that they weren't in practice today oh but he said my only argument is history he said I can look and I feel like they tapered off throughout history but I don't believe I can make any kind of an argument from the scriptures that say that that the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues have uh, just have no longer uh, are operative for the church he said I don't feel like I can be honest with the text and say that and I thought that was that was interesting. The other viewpoint would be that of if cessationism believes that they've ceased, continuation, continuationism says that these gifts continue on today. The gifts of healing, the gifts of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, that they are still a part of the church. Now, within that, within that viewpoint, within that position, there is a gigantic spectrum, okay? A gigantic spectrum. We mentioned this two weeks ago. Some of you some of you maybe have, have been in those churches where, like, we're talking snake handling, we're talking all kinds of craziness going on, and, and then there's, like, much more uh, subdued and throttled back. Uh, I, I heard one pastor refer to it as, he said, I'm a charismatic wearing a seatbelt. I've got, I'm like, just a little more under control here. Uh, so th there's a, wide wi a, a very wide spectrum of belief uh, from those who would say these gifts belong to the church today. And I find myself entering into that camp over the last couple of months as I've studied this um, 
more carefully and, and seen some things in, the, in this chapter that I didn't see before. Um, but what we, we have to understand, though, is that Paul, Paul is seriously downplaying the gift of tongues as it's practiced in the body and in, in the gathering of God's people. Um, so if you've come from places where you've seen, like, you know, dozens of people all speaking at one time and uh, um, just all kinds of mayhem and madness, know that that's, that's exactly what Paul is speaking against in this passage. That's what Paul is dealing with as the Corinthians were exalting this gift to a point that other things were getting pushed aside. Prophecy was one of them, and there was, there was, there was disorder in the gathering. Paul wants us to be clear that he would rather speak a few words of understanding when God's people are assembled than be able to have the gift of tongues in the assembly. Verse 19 says that. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul was emphasizing that which would be clear, that which would be built, building others up, that which would edify and strengthen the proclamation of God's word and the gift of prophecy. There's a lot more we could say, but I want to move on for the sake of time. Uh, fourthly, uh, just briefly, is everyone supposed to speak in tongues? There is that view out there from those that believe that the gift is, is still practiced today, uh, which I, I'm, I'm of those. But there are those who would say that everyone are supposed to speak in tongues. And I, my, my answer to this question is no. I don't, believe, I don't believe that we're all given that gift. One of the things we've said throughout here is that God is the one who sovereignly distributes the gifts. Um, uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 11 says that. God distributes them as he wills. In fact, uh, um, in chapter 12, verse 30 um, Paul was assuming that not everyone had the gift. Uh, if you back up to verse 29, he says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The Greek construction is written in a way that this is a, the implied answer to all those questions is no. Not everybody's an apostle. Not everybody's a prophet. Not everyone works miracles. Uh, we all know that God gives these gifts as he wills. There are some of you that love to, they have the gift of teaching, and you love to be able to get up and teach. But there are some of you that that would be your greatest fear would be to stand in front of people and to speak. You would rather die than get up and speak. We, we don't say everyone should have the gift of teaching. These gifts are given sovereignly by God as he wills. Some point to uh, chapter um, 14, verse, uh, verse 5 where Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. And they would say, well, there it is. We, we're all supposed to speak in tongues. Paul wants us all to be speaking in tongues. Well, I would be careful about that because he used the exact same sentence construction back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, where he says, now I want you all to be as I am, that is, single. <laughs> so if we're going to take uh, verse 5 to mean that we're all supposed to speak in tongues, then we have to take chapter 7, verse 7, to say that we're all supposed to be single and unmarried so that we can devote ourselves fully, wholeheartedly to the ministry. I don't think Paul was saying in either passage, you're required to do this. What he's saying is, uh, I, I would love for you to be able to have the advantage of this. I, I would love for you to be able to participate in this. 
Paul assumed that not everyone had that gift. Again, there's a lot more we could say there and, and other arguments that we could wrestle around with. So then, uh, lastly, then how should tongues be practiced? If, if we're practicing uh, this gift as a follower of Christ, you believe that God has given you this gift, how, how should you practice this? Um, and uh, with whom? Uh, probably first and foremost, I would say that, um, and again, I, I did not come to this position until recently from diving down more deeply into 1 Corinthians 14 than I ever have. But I believe that first and foremost, it, it is between you and God. I, I think it's a, a communication, a time to pray, a time of, of deep uh, communion with God uh, that that gift is given. Um, and I believe that that's, that's the flow of the passage. Paul is like, listen, this is a good gift, but don't bring it into the house of God unless there's an interpreter. Which leads me to believe that there is a lot, of, a lot of opportunity to practice this. And I believe that opportunity is between you and the Lord as you spend time in worship with him. But if, if it is practiced in the assembly of God's people, and I, and I, would, I would say that that's, that's what Paul is like, he's getting at is, uh, okay, I want it to be first and foremost, you'd understand that like it has to be between you and God. But when, when you do practice it among God's people, he, here's, here's, the, here's the rules, as it were. And verse 27 makes it clear. He says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and then let someone interpret. So he's got a couple of rules in that verse. Only two or three should do it that, that day that you're gathering together. Only, only two or three people should speak in tongues. So if you have ever been in a service or you've watched on YouTube this service where like the whole room is erupted and everybody's speaking in tongues, that clearly violates 1 Corinthians 14. Clearly. That's not biblical use of tongues. He says, second rule, there needs to be one at a time. Kind of piggies back off of just, just two or three. It's not supposed to dominate the service. Number two, one at a time. Everybody take your turn. Wait in line. Everybody have an opportunity. And then thirdly, he says there has to be an interpreter. He essentially says, um, in verse 28, he said, if there's no one to interpret, um, be quiet. <laughs> uh, you keep that to yourself. And, and how you know that there's an interpreter, this is where the supernatural gift comes in. This is, this is where it begins. God's Spirit is speaking to that person with the gift of interpretation. God's speaking with that person with the gift of tongues. And, and, and they, they come together and they, they share this word. And the other person says, here's what he was saying. And it should be done in a way that edifies the body. I want to say a couple things in closing by way of application. Because, again, if uh, number one, if, if you don't believe the gift should be practiced today, if you believe that those miraculous gifts have ceased, it's easy to kind of say, all right, let's... It's kind of easy to check out a little bit, I guess. And secondly, for those of us who don't have that gift, or at least not yet, uh, um, we may think, okay, well, I don't know what that means to me, but there's chapter 14. Uh, let me just say a couple of things by way of application. I think we can all draw from. Um, I said this two weeks ago, but I, I want to just reiterate. We must not limit God. Be careful about saying, God doesn't do this anymore. Be so careful about that. I recognize that there are things in Scripture that were not normal. They, they were outside of what we typically see. I have never experienced a donkey speaking to me. Never experienced that. And I would say that it would be uh, not, um, not normal to expect God to work in that way. That was a very unique situation 
in, in the history of Israel. To my knowledge, it never happened before, it never happened since. There are things that God does in history that we're not to expect to be normative, but be careful about going too far down that path because we can easily then begin to put God in a box, easily begin to say, this is how God works, this is how he doesn't work, this is when he can show up, and all of a sudden we are dictating to God what he can and cannot do. And that's where I struggle with my, my former viewpoint on cessationism, that God can't do this anymore, this is done, this is over with, nobody speaks in tongues anymore. Well, the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of evidence that they do. Uh, I've heard personal testimony after personal testimony, and I've seen in her testimony from missionaries who have been able to share the gospel in a language that they never knew, just like that, miraculously. I can't explain that other than saying that that's, that's the gift of tongues. Um, secondly, I love Paul's exhortation in verse 12. We could, we could, we could spend a whole sermon on this verse, He's, this last phrase in this verse. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. I love that phrase. I want you to strive to excel. Some of us have devoted our lives to striving to excel in our areas of work. You have mastered your trade. You're amazing at what you do. Some of us have strived to excel at parenting, at, at, at uh, a hobby of some kind. But here Paul says, I want you to strive. That is, put forth all your effort into building up the body of Christ. No matter how you understand these gifts to be functioning, they all should come back to building one another up. That's what we started with in our very first, the very first message on spiritual gifts back in chapter 12. We need to strive to help encourage one another. Strive to help lift others up. Strive to minister to and serve one another. Strive to teach the word of God to one another. He says, I want you to strive to be excellent in these things. Whatever gift you've been given, and I hope, I hope that you believe, I hope that each of you believe that you are gifted by God. We've said it enough times over the past few weeks. If, if you don't believe that yet, then, then I would... I would just be so bold to say is you're believing lies. You still have the enemy whispering in your ear. You're not good enough. You don't bring anything to the table. You're not qualified. You don't have any. God says you are gifted. And he's called you, he's called me to strive to excel in building up the church. The third application that I just want to mention is that we need to make sure that we always long for God above experiences. I imagine that for those who have this gift, for you to be able to pray and worship God in, in these unknown languages, I would, I would imagine that that is a pretty amazing experience. One that, if not careful, could lead to pride. I've experienced this, you haven't, you know what I mean? But it shouldn't. Any encounter with God should always bring us down. If your experience with God brings you up, you're not experiencing God. You've experienced something else. You've experienced an experience, but you haven't experienced God. Look at everyone in the Bible who encounters God, and they're on their face. They're weeping. Many of them think they're going to die. If you have an experience and if this gift of tongues brings you closer to God, it will bring humility. It will 
bring you to your knees. It will strengthen your prayer life. You will weep for the lost. You will weep for those that are without Christ. You will long to know him. Be careful about longing for experiences. And this can apply to anyone with or without the gift of tongues. Be careful about just simply going from Sunday morning to Sunday morning. Like, I need my, my worship music fix. It is great to come together and worship. It's biblical. It's commanded. And we need it. But be careful about jumping from experience to experience and not longing for God. There's a way in which you can long for experiences that distract you from God. Make sure that all those experiences draw you to him and then bring you to your knees. And then finally, and we've already touched on it, but seek God's glory alone. If you've been given this gift, any gift, it's for God's glory. It's not to exalt me. And even at the end, at the end of the day, it's, it's not for one another. It is. We are to edify one another. But at the end of the day, it's so that God's name be lifted high. I pray, whatever your position on this, whether uh, I've created more confusion or answered some questions, whether you vehemently disagree with me, you're out there like wanting to amen, but you were a Baptist and you're like, I can't amen because that sounds kind of charismatic and I don't want to go there. That's fine. Wherever you're at on this, um, seek to use your gifts for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, these passages, these discussions so often descend into confusion, so often descend into uh, controversy at many times. Lord, I pray that you would give us clarity in our thinking and our understanding of spiritual gifts. And, and Lord, I pray that we would use them for your honor and glory as we build one another up in the name of Jesus. May the God of peace himself make you holy through and through. And may your whole being, spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will accomplish it.